preach the gospel to yourself. And remember who you are in Jesus Christ. You have been set free. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. And this morning we're going to begin a series for the next four Sundays out of the book of Galatians. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles there to the first chapter of the book of Galatians. It was interesting when uh, Richard had asked me to preach at the traditional services and Phil's at the uh, Ignite services. Phil and I worked together on this. I said, Phil, the last time I preached through Galatians, I preached 25 sermons. And I got to do this in four? Are you kidding me? And so what we've done is we've really pulled out one of the major themes that you'll find in the book of Galatians. And it's the, it's the theme of freedom. Jesus Christ sets us free. Today we're going to talk about he sets us free from seeking approval, trying to find our value in approval of other people. Now, let me go to the passage. and read. We're going to read the first 10 verses. This is God's Word. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him up from the dead and all the brothers with me. That sounds good at first. Listen. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accept it, let him be eternally condemned. Here's a question. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? And this morning, Lord, as we open this critically important text... We give you thanks to your Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write these words, to pen these words. But we also realize, O oh Holy Spirit, without you opening our hearts and minds, we will never understand them. We'll never get the gospel. And so this morning, would you open our hearts? Would you speak to us as we make this prayer in your name and for your sake? Amen. Okay, so you sort of got a feel for this. Paul's upset. He's upset because these false teachers had come in. They twisted the gospel. They robbed the, the gospel of, of the character, of its, its, its character, the intent that God had in mind for it. And so he's upset. So he brings some accusation. He brings two sets of accusations. First of all, he's going to accuse the Galatians. 
And what he's going to say basically is this. He's going to say, I cannot believe how quickly you deserted God by turning to another gospel. Second accusation was to the false teachers. And he said of them, you came in, you false teachers came in here and you created trouble. You stirred them up. You created trouble and you perverted, that's his word, perverted or distorted the gospel. Now I want us to go through and, and sort of take this to pieces this morning. Those two, um, two accusations. First of all, of, uh, he accused the Galatians of deserting God who called them by the grace of God. Now I want you to look at the word desert there. Do you see that word? It's a word, and you know the word. You know the word. The word literally means to transfer one's allegiance. And it was used of soldiers who would desert us. It was used of soldiers who would desert us. And, and Paul is like, I cannot believe how quickly you deserted. I can't believe how quickly you turned your allegiance from the one who gave you this glorious gospel of grace. I can't believe how quick it happened. The very one who called you. See the wording there? Look, at, look carefully. Every word's important. For I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. See the word call there? God's call is talking about his effectual call, that call from God in which he uh, convinces us of our sin, in which he enlightens our hearts, which he persuades us and moves us to Jesus Christ. He says, I cannot believe how quickly you've done this, how you've changed your allegiance, and how you've turned away from the God of grace from the grace of Christ. Interesting, the word grace, Paul uses, of all the New Testament writers, Paul uses that word more than any other of the New Testament writers, the word grace. You'll find it over and over again. Grace, 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 grace. And he accused them of turning to a different gospel. And basically what was happening, historically what was happening back then, the false teachers were coming in, and here's sort of the bottom line, the false teachers were coming in and they said, well, yes, you've got to believe in Jesus, but you have to add to it. In other words, it's not Jesus alone. It's not faith alone and Jesus alone. You've got to add to it. You have to add things to it. And so basically that's what they were doing. And so he comes to these false teachers now, and he says to these false teachers, what you're actually doing is distorting, or I think your word, the word used in NIV is perverted. You see the word perverted? Distorted, perverted. Now, it's interesting, Tim Keller, Tim Keller in a series of sermons he preached on this, Tim Keller says, actually the word can be you reversed the gospel. You reversed it. Because you see, there is an order to the gospel. Now, look, this is so critically important. This, bear with me here. Because I'm telling you, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. This is the core. This is the essence. This is the gospel. There's an order to it. And what these people had done, they reversed the order. Now, let me, let me here, look, here's the question. Does God first love us? And as a result of his love and acceptance of us, then we begin to love him and seek to live a life that honors him. Or do we work really, really hard in trying to be good 
so that God will like us and accept us. Which is it? Let me put it this way. Is it that God does something for us and as a result of this amazing thing that he does for us, we respond in wanting to honor him and love him. Which is it? Or is it the other way around? Or do we do something? Do we have to do something so that we are in God's favor? Which is it? And I'm going to tell you, this separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Every other religion. And this also clarifies what the gospel is because the average man on the street, the religion of the man on the street is the second of those. The average man on the street believes you've really got to work hard. You've got to work really, really, really hard to be good enough, holy enough. I had a fellow in my church in, in Rock Hill. His name's Gary. And Gary's an amazing guy, highly intelligent man, highly intelligent man. And for years, Gary came to church, never joined our church, and uh, so finally I went to him. I said, Gary, you know, what, what is holding you back from really throwing yourself into um, this, this whole thing of what Christianity is? And you know what he told me? He says, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I said, Gary, if you think you're worthy, you don't get it. And I'm telling you, this guy struggled with it and struggled with it and struggled with it. Finally, I took two elders. This is no kidding. I took two elders out to his house, and I said, we're going to get Gary straight. We, we sat him down, and me and two elders talked the gospel to him. And finally, finally, he said, okay, I give up. And I said, that's all we ask for. And we got on our knees in that guy's living room, and we prayed, and he prayed. And he gave his life to Jesus. You see, the problem with so many people, all the other religions of the world, what do they teach? You have to earn it. You have to work for it. And what Christianity says is this. It's done. It's finished. He did it. And there's not one single thing that I can add to what he has done, period. Can you see why Paul's upset? Here these guys came in there, and they were saying, oh, oh I, you know, I know what Paul said, you know, but, but you know, Paul's a little, you, you, yeah. hey, Paul, he's one of those kind of religious fanatics anyway. And you, you have to sort of take him with a grain of salt. Now, you know, deep in your mind, you know that that business of grace is sort of foolishness because how could that be? You have to work for it. You have to earn it. So, yes, you have to have faith, but you've got to do all these. See the problem? So, those were the accusations. Now, let me take you to the next thing in the passage. And by the way, each of these is a sermon, and I'm struggling to get it covered in this brief amount of time. But when we come to the next one, he says this absolutely amazing thing here. And I want you to look at the verse, verse eight, verses 8 and 9. Okay, so here he is. He's accused them. He's brought the accusation against them. False teachers distorting, distorting the gospel. The Galatians from so quickly deserting it. And then he comes to this verse. This is an amazing verse. It's an amazing verse. In fact, you can read this and miss it, but let me read it to you. This is what he says. But if we, now who's the we there? The apostles. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, 
should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you. Let him be under God's curse. He's not satisfied of saying it once, so he says it again. As we have already said, so now I say to you, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accept it, let him be under God's curse. Now, what is he saying here? He is saying that you and I cannot trust in the traditions or teachings of mere men. Got it? Even if it's an apostle, even if it's one of these elders, even if it's just the preacher behind this pulpit, you can't trust in the mere traditions and teachings of men. You have to test it. You have to test it. I used to say to our folks in Rock Hill, of course, I was there 30 years, preached 30 years there. I'd say to our folks there, test everything I say. Don't believe me. Test it. Put it against the Scripture. And if you find anywhere that I am out of accord with what's in Scripture, you come confront me because I'm wrong. Even the teachings... Of the apostles, he said, if it's contrary to this gospel, don't believe them. By the way, he didn't even say not only believe them. Did you, did you hear what he said? It's that word, anathema. That word even scares me when I say it, doesn't it, you? May he be cursed. All right, that's one deal. But he goes another level. Or even if an angel from heaven comes. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, even if you have a spiritual experience with an angel from heaven, and that angel tells you something that's different from this gospel, let him be accursed. So what does this mean? The origin of the gospel is God himself. And if anybody comes to you and teaches you anything that is contrary to that gospel that has come from God, don't believe them. Let me show you. I didn't read the verse. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that I made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. It came from him. And if anybody comes and tells you something different than that which came from him, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven or one of the apostles, don't believe them. Got it? Got it? Pretty strong, right? Pretty strong. Okay, now, that brings us to what my subject is today. And I want to come down to verse 10, because this is where I want us to spend the rest of our time this morning. Look at verse 10. By the way, let me say it another way. I just looked at my notes and realized I forgot something. Um, here's what I'm really saying. The church doesn't judge the gospel. The gospel judges the church. 
All right. Your experience, as great of experience as you may ever think you're going to have, your spiritual experiences, even if an angel comes to you, as great of a spiritual experience, your experience doesn't judge the gospel. The gospel judges your experience. You follow that? That's really what I'm saying. Now, let's go to the question, verse 10. Here's this question. And he says this, very powerful question. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? Here's a real question this morning. Are we trying to feel good about ourselves by seeking the approval of other people? Now, let's not get real smug here. <laughs> we all do it. Look, when we come to understand the gospel, when we come to understand the gospel, we come to understand that the most basic needs that we have as human beings are being met and fulfilled. Larry Krebs, a Christian psychologist who years ago, I remember reading some of his stuff. But one of the things Larry Krebs said, he said, I'm convinced in my practice that almost every problem that I deal with with people it boils down to unmet needs in one of these two basic, two basic needs of life, and that is the need for security and the need for significance. The need for security and the need for significance, we all have them, every one of us. The need for security and the need for significance. Now, I want to stop there before I go any further. I want to talk to parents who are here. Do you understand how critically important it is that you create an environment in your home where your children feel loved and noticed? That they feel secure. That they feel secure. There are so many. I guarantee you, I could, I could look out here in this congregation and find teachers. And I guarantee you, there would be teacher after teacher who would say, part of the biggest problems we have in our classrooms, we have so many children who are coming up who are insecure children. And so they act out their insecurities. Now, let me take you another step with that. Let me tell you where that security in the family is most important. And it's in the relationship of husband and wife. It's mom and dad. And I'm going to tell you, your children are extremely insightful. Extremely insightful. And if they don't sense that security, that's why the best gift that any parent can give to a child is the gift of a healthy, good marriage. And I also realize there are a lot of you here that are not in good marriages, or you've been divorced, or you are separated, and it's been difficult. It puts a lot more pressure on you, and you can do it. But it takes a whole lot of work to create an atmosphere in your home where your children feel that security. They know that they're safe. And significant, that they know that they're important, that you notice them. Now, let me come to us. It's no different from us. We have those same basic things. 
We need to know that we're secure and we need to know that we're significant, that we matter. And there are so many people who are in relationships where those things are not being met. They don't feel loved. They don't feel accepted. And so when you do this, when you fail to understand, and by the way, that, that's part of living in this fallen world. We cannot put our ultimate security and significance in anybody else but Jesus. Even if you've got a great marriage, you know what? You're going to disappoint each other. And there are going to be times you don't feel significant, and there are going to be times that you don't feel secure because we're sinful beings. The only place we find that ultimate security and significance is in Jesus. And in Jesus alone. We desperately want it. And so when we fail, see, see the people misunderstood the gospel. Paul said, who am I trying to please? Do you think I'm trying to please men? Do you think I'm trying to get the approval of men to make me feel better about me? Do you think that my value is based on what other people think about me? I guarantee you this. I guarantee you across this congregation, there are tens, uh, hundreds of people in this room who think that. And what the gospel does, it blows all that away. It says you're loved and you're accepted because of Jesus and him alone, regardless of what kind of relationship you're in. Now, here's, here's where I want to take you. If you fail to understand that, if you fail to understand that, what it's going to do is going to lead to terrible fears. You see, when you fail to understand that you're loved and accepted by Jesus, when you fail to understand that you're secure and significant in him alone, it, and you fail to understand that, it's going to put you in a very, very fearful situation because you're going to have these fears. I'll tell you what you'll fear. You will fear that you won't be accepted by others. There are some of you in the room who perhaps are single and you have this horrible fear. Your fear is I'll never find a husband. I'll never find a wife. I'm going to be brutally honest here. To me, probably one of my greatest, one of my greatest fears, and I have several, but one of my greatest fears, honestly, is the fear that people won't accept me and like me. And it's a terrible fear when I feel like I disappoint somebody. I'm a pleaser. And part of the reason of being a pleaser is because I want people to approve of me. I want their approval. And you know what? There has to come the point in your life that you let that go. You have to let it go. And you have to realize that you are accepted and approved by God. And what greater can it be than that? Do you understand how this free, see, freedom, get the idea of freedom from approval? You see how this frees you? You see, we have the freedom of that. Let me take, real quick, here's another fear. Fear of rejection. Okay, here's the person who says, I finally got approval, I finally got acceptance. Oh, but I'm scared to death, I'm going to be rejected. Or here's the person who's driven by the fear of failure. Oh, if I don't perform a certain way, if I don't act a certain way, then I'm going to be rejected because I don't meet expectations of other people. I'm driven by that fear. 
It's awful to be that way. And yet we all do it. When we are driven by those kinds of fears, let me tell you what it leads you to. It leads you some to, to do some really strange things. When you're driven by that kind of fear, here's one of the things that drives you to do. It causes you to be a critical person with a critical spirit. Because you want to feel better about you because you think your value is based on what other people say about you, the approval of other people. And so what you want to do is you don't feel good about yourself. So you find people to be critical of. And that makes you feel good about you. None of you ever do this? I'm the only one up here that ever does this. Or this. We become overly concerned about our appearance, of how we look and how we come across. And we put on this air about us. And we have to be just right in everything that we do. And we work through life with this being driven by performance. I'm going to come to that in a few weeks. Being driven by performance because I'm so concerned about my appearance because I want to look good. Is this relating to anybody in a room here? You see what I'm saying? These fears drive us to do these things to cause us to be overachievers, to cause us to be controlling and manipulative, to cause us to get into unhealthy relationships. I guarantee you that there are people sitting in this room this morning who have compromised and they are in unhealthy relationships because they want approval so badly. The gospel sets you free from all of that. We are secure in Jesus Christ. We are significant through him. The gospel says that we're totally and unconditionally accepted and loved by God because Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age which constantly is trying to convince us that our value is found in human relationships and achievements. That was the problem Paul's addressing in this first chapter. You are set free. Because you're loved and accepted unconditionally by the love of Jesus Christ. Now, Martin Luther said, the gospel is for Christians. We have to preach it to ourselves over and over again. In fact, he said, we have to beat ourselves over the head with it. So I guess what I'm asking you this morning is, Preach the gospel to yourself. And remember who you are in Jesus Christ. You have been set free. Let's pray. This morning, Lord, as we process all this that we've heard, there are people here in bondage. There are people here in unhealthy relationships. There are hypercritical people here. There are insecure people here. And this is one of them right up here at the front of this church. And I desperately need the gospel. I desperately need Jesus to set me free. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you remind us that it's not about us, it's about him.
It's all for Jesus, all for Jesus. We have his approval, and that's all we need. We give you thanks in his name. Amen. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Pres by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online.